This is your Olympic hero and former WWE champion, Kurt Angle. And I just wanted to give a shout out to my guys, Clint and Noah. When it comes to covering sports, there is no one better. And believe me, that's true. It's damn true. Kiss stealing, woo, wheeling, dealing, limousine right, jet flying, son of a gun. I am the best in the world at what I do. Gentlemen. You are the top 1%. The elite. Best of the best. But the cream will rise to the top all year. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. You are now listening to the Elite Sports Podcast. Brought to you by Mo Sports in Liberty. The pinnacle of hard-hitting sports talk. Featuring weekly expert analysis and top-notch interviews. And now, please welcome your hosts, Clint Schweitzer and Noah Groniger. Welcome to the Elite Sports Podcast, where we are officially prepared to go behind enemy lines because given the parlance of our times, the coronavirus continues to scare people into their homes. The nation is pretty much shut down, but not here on the Elite Sports Podcast as we prepare Like I said, to go behind enemy lines, we, of course, witnessed the Kansas City Chiefs win Super Bowl 54, their first in 50 years. So with that being said, Noah, it's time to take a look at the rest of the AFC West, and we're going to be bringing on two great guests today. Uh, Simon Fletcher, former Denver Bronco, played 11 seasons for the Broncos, the second all-time leading sack leader in Broncos history, as well as Mr. Raider himself, George Atkinson, joining us for the first time in a couple years. He's a great friend of ours. For eight years, he's been coming on with us. We're going to catch up with him. Is he going to move to Vegas? What's going to happen with uh, with the Raiders? you got Marcus Mariota now, Derek Carr. What's going to happen? We are going to figure it all out. By the end of this, no one, we're going to have a conclusion on who wins the AFC West in 2020, if there is a 2020. Yeah, if there is, that's a big question. we got the coronavirus out there. But I'm sure Chiefs fans of the 70s, Chiefs fans of the mid-80s through the mid-90s, have feared our upcoming guest way more than they ever have the coronavirus. George Atkinson and those Raiders teams were a feared bunch in the 70s, really bullying and pushing around lots of teams, let alone our Chiefs. And then Simon Fletcher and those defensive teams with Carl Mecklenburg. And who can forget Steve Atwater, who's going to be uh, newly inducted into the Hall of Fame. And so uh, we're definitely going to have to ask him about those fear defenses, what they see in the Chiefs. And yes, this AFC West moving forward. Can the Raiders, can the Las Vegas Raiders move, take some steps and challenge the Chiefs? Or will it be Simon Fletcher's Broncos moving into the future with Drew Locke? We're going to have to get into all that and more with these two great guests coming up. We are, and it's going to be interesting to talk with uh, someone like Simon Fletcher, who, of course, uh, still lives in Colorado, still has a business there as a kind of a restaurant um, owner and entrepreneur. Going to ask him about Drew Locke and the future of the Denver Broncos. Of course, they signed Melvin Gordon when they already had an undrafted free agent leading the team in rushing for the last couple seasons and Philip Lindsay kind of what are the Broncos kind of thinking doing that paying what 16 million to Melvin Gordon they had already an established running back so clearly uh, for Denver I think that they're trying to and they also added some beef in the middle so they're trying to play defense run the football maybe a little bit not quite ready to turn Drew Locke loose which to me could be a mistake because when you're trying to catch the Chiefs in the AFC West you're bringing, uh, in, in this case, sort of uh, rocks to a gunfight uh, as the 
famous uh, wrestler Ruddy Ruddy Piper would say. So we're going to get Simon's Fletch, Simon Fletcher's sort of take on the current state of the Broncos, what they're going to try to do. Of course, with a guy like Vic Fangio, you can only imagine that they're going to try to be, uh, continue to be a strong defensive team while establishing this young quarterback. Well, we'll see what Simon says about Drew Locke. And, of course, mixed emotions for us as, as uh, two individuals that covered Drew Locke in high school and in college at Mizzou. Now our good friend is playing for the Denver Broncos and uh, the reins have been turned over to him as they've said goodbye to Joe Flacco, which a year ago when this happened, we said was a disaster and it certainly was. I don't know the direction of the Denver Broncos, what Vic Fangio is going to be able to bring to the table here. Three straight losing seasons in Denver, unprecedented in the history, the proud history of uh, that organization. Yeah, you got the Denver Broncos bringing to Melvin Gordon, like you mentioned. I think they are going to try and... Uh, deploy a balanced offense with the run game and Noah Fant can hopefully take a step forward for them at tight end. And uh, then they've got some receivers out there and uh, it's going to be a question of can Drew Locke continue his development that we saw from last year and grow. And I think they're just trying to give him as many weapons and options out there as possible. And uh, they traded for AJ Boye uh, from the Jacksonville Jaguars. So uh, that'll be interesting uh, to see what uh, can happen there. And then you're looking at the Oakland Raiders. They bring in Marcus Mariota as kind of a backup to Derek Carr. They've signed a lot of guys. Jason Witten at 37 years old. Jeff Heath as a safety. Uh, Corey Littleton. Uh, Carl Nassib along that front seven. So they're really kind of overhauling their defense in their front seven, trying to get a few more options uh, for Derek Carr. And they're going to need a lot more at wide receiver. They don't have a lot there. They have a good tight end in Darren Waller. And then the Chargers going with Tyrod Taylor is almost, to me, like – uh, the Indianapolis Colts going with Curtis Painter as their quarterback when they tried to go for Andrew Luck. And now I think the Chargers are trying to uh, suck for Trevor Lawrence. They're going to tank for Trevor uh, is probably what uh, the fans there uh, are going to make poster boards. They're probably already in the process of doing that. Uh, so we'll see if they can get him. And uh, I know the Jags are doing the same thing down there uh, with Gardner Minshew, just saying, no, he's going to be our starter because they're going to tank for Trevor too. So it'll be a race to see who can uh, get his services. Cam Newton parts ways with the Carolina Panthers, of course. This comes after Matt Rule saying, uh, he's my guy. Um, not so fast. He's not your guy. Um, of course, Teddy Bridgewater goes there. What is going to become of some of these players that are clearly being replaced? Obviously, Cam Newton now, it's official. But what about Jameis Winston? Some of these quarterbacks that you feel like in just a short time ago were leading franchises... Now they may all be coming backups. And who are some other teams in your mind that uh, could be right there in line for this uh, suck for Trevor Lawrence? We don't have a clever name for it yet. We need to come up with one. But who could be some other teams in line for that? You mentioned the Chargers, of course. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like everyone's really got their quarterback. Of course, teams would be mil willing to move on for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I know, uh, depending on what happens with... Uh, the draft this year and Matthew Stafford's back, which had him out a lot of uh, last season. Uh, the Lions could be looking to move on from him if uh, this uh, 2020 season, assuming it's played, doesn't go well uh, for Matt or he re-injures his back or just isn't able to make it through or have a strong season. Uh, they could be looking at his services uh, depending on what happens with Washington and uh, Haskins. And if they bring in Cam Newton, uh, the New England Patriots probably aren't going to be in position uh, unless they move up and Jared Stidham falls on his face. I know they brought in Brian Hoyer. Uh, could they be someone in the in looking for the services of a guy like Andy Dalton? Um, Jameis Winston appears to be headed for 
a lot of talk is the Pittsburgh Steelers backing up Ben Roethlisberger, uh, learning behind him, holding a clipboard, being able to see the game from the sideline is probably what he needs right now and not to uh, jump in uh, to another starting role. I know his name has been mentioned in circles with the Jacksonville Jaguars, but it appears that they're really banking on going with uh, Gardner Minshew and uh, I think in secret hopes that he's horrible and uh, they can tank for Trevor. Um, as far as other teams looking for Trevor Lawrence, uh, like I said, a lot of teams have their guy. Um, you're wondering, uh, the Saints aren't going to be in position, but they'd probably like to move on uh, and have somebody in place for when Drew Brees does move on. Uh, but a lot of guys have their young and up-and-coming budding stars. So uh, it's like, who's who's out there that's looking to uh, get Trevor Lawrence? And that's a question. Maybe the Browns, if they fall on their face, maybe they're ready to move on from Baker. So there's a lot of questions. It's up in the air. We're going to see how this draft plays out. The draft is a crapshoot this year. We're not sure how it's going to work out. We're going to ask George Atkinson about that um, as he's kind of high up in the Raiders organization and uh, knows Mike Mayock and has talked to him. So We'll get his thoughts on that without the pro days, without player visits to facilities, without the medical checkups, how that's going to play into this draft and how much it's going to be different than uh, years prior. Well, let's go ahead and welcome to the Elite Sports Podcast, our good friend, George Atkinson, Mr. Raider himself. It's been too long, George. How you doing, man? Hey, man, what's up? Been a while. Uh, it's been too long. We just wanted to see how everything was going, man, and kind of kind of check on you. It's been too long, so just had to say hello. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm being safe. I've been in the hospital. Oh no! To avoid this. Yeah, trying to avoid this. You know, California's high risk here with this uh, Corona virus. God, yeah, it's kind of you guys are kind kind of on lockdown pretty much, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, we're high risk, man. God, you know, I wish I could get over to Savannah, but I don't want to take a chance on a plane. Oh, I know. I remember when we met you here in Kansas City for dinner. You were talking about wanting to to move there eventually. Are you are you still wanting to do that? Well, well, I bought properties there. You know, I I was there, and I uh, when John came back, he. He uh, he gave me a little something to do, so I've been around the team. But I I was there. I got a house there in a condo in Savannah. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, I, it's, it's kind of crazy here. I mean, the the Raiders are are moving. I mean, are, would you give any thought to to heading to Vegas? Yes, I am giving a thought, as a matter of fact. And I'm giving it some thought. Uh huh. All right. So what it, you guys you guys are living it up there. You won the won the big deal. That's <laughs> that's good for the AFC West. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no big deal. Just sitting on top of the throne. For the first time, George, in fifty years, we you know, we're only thirty six years, years old. We're only thirty six. Uh, this is our first Super Bowl. You know, we're only thirty six years old, Noah and I. So we're like this is the first time we've ever experienced it. So it's been amazing and um, but you know we need that competition. Uh, Denver or, or the or Las Vegas, somebody's gonna have to gonna have to come Step catch up. us here. Oh yeah, well we're working on it. Trust me, <laughs> we are working on catching you. Yeah, well, what are, what are you kind of hearing on the whole Derek Carr's future, his situation? There was talks of Tom Brady coming over there, and uh, it's just you, if you guys are gonna catch us, you guys brought in Marcus Mariota. What are you seeing at the quarterback position now and for the future? Well, it's Jerry's team right now. You know, it's 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 
he's running it. It's just a matter of getting him some pieces. And you got to have strong backups. You know that. Uh, if you don't survive in this league, if you don't have, if you don't have depth, you're in trouble. Yeah, very, very true. And uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see as the Raiders move into this new stadium. I mean, is is sentimentally, I mean, playing for the Oakland Raiders, being such a part of the fabric. Is there is there part of it for you that's the kind of sentimental? I mean, being in that stadium, the Oakland Coliseum, and now gone is what personally? What do you feel about it? Well, you know, I look at it from a different point of view. Definitely, I, I played there. And, uh, there are parts of me that are still, you know, Oakland to a degree. But then, when you look at it from a business standpoint and uh, competing in the league, you gotta have a you gotta have a, a stadium, a, a place where you can host the Super Bowl and, and uh, entice fans to come. Although you know, Oakland didn't have a fan problem. But I, I think that the business end of it and the sports end of it got kind of cross-wired. And the Raiders had to do what they had to do in order to compete in the NFL. They had to move. It was a no-brainer, pretty much. Yeah, I got to understand that. Just kind of updating the facilities, trying to get the Super Bowl, bringing more revenue. But uh, Exactly. Yeah, George, we sent you a little piece. We talked to Brentston Buckner, former Raiders defensive line coach from last year. Um, we were able to catch up with him last season and he had nothing but great things to say about you, how you guys became friends and, and you taught him a lot about, about football and what it means to be a Raider. And uh, you guys went from 2018, you guys had 13 sacks, 2019, you jumped up to 32 sacks, but you guys let him go and you move on to Rod Marinelli. Just what do you think went behind that decision? And, uh, what did you feel about what Brentston brought to that defensive line of the Raiders last year? You know, we had a lot of young guys, and I thought he related to them very well. Uh, Brinston, being from Georgia like I am, you know, I'm from Savannah. He's from Columbus. I think, yeah, Columbus. And uh, we kind of connected, and we talked quite a bit. I think he's a, a young coach with a bright future. Everything's ahead of him. And, uh, you know, I don't know what happened, uh, why, but... You know, I, I thought he I thought he was doing a pretty good job with those young kids we got. And, uh, he's a good man, and, you know, Brinson will land on his feet, and I like him very much. He's a good guy. Yeah, we were sad to see him go there. It seemed like he made a, a good difference there. Um, so with, with the rest of the quarterbacks now, George, in the AFC West, you got Tyrod Taylor in Los Angeles, uh, Derek Carr, of course, and then uh, Drew Locke, a guy we know very well. Uh, we fought, we covered him here at Mizzou, covered him in high school. He uh, went to high school about 20 minutes from where we're sitting right now. How do you feel about the uh, kind of the rest of the quarterback situation, trying to trying to catch Patrick Mahomes again? I know it's not going to be easy. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Mahomes is a special talent. I mean, you know, you, what you try to do is compete and uh, match up with the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, Mahomes is Mahomes, and you know, he's going to be Mahomes. You know, he has that – uniqueness where he can improvise and he makes things happen. Uh, you don't try to, you don't try to get another Patrick Holmes. You get a quarterback that can compete against the chiefs. You know, he's just one guy. You got, you got a whole host of players there that you have to match up to and with. And uh, that's what teams in the AFC West, uh, I guarantee you will try to do with their free agency and the draft coming up. 
time to match up with uh, with with Kansas City and, and compete with them. You know, you got, they have a lot of speed, so that's one thing you have to bring to your team is speed. And they're pretty good on defense. They're good, especially in the middle of their defense with Jones. So you got to have an offensive line that can compete and and, and, and stop him and Frank Clark. So it's just it's a matter of matching up both offensively and defensively. Don't worry about Mahomes. Let him get his, but you shut everybody else down. Yeah, absolutely. That's probably got to be the way to go. But wanted to ask you a little bit about just kind of your thoughts on John Gruden as he continues in uh, his tenure with the Raiders and bringing in Mike Mayock. And uh, a lot of people were kind of making fun of the draft. They didn't think uh, you should take Cleveland Farrell that high. Uh, do you take a running back, Josh Jacobs, in the first round? Just what's going on? But they're not laughing anymore, my friend. Cleveland Farrell, Jonathan Abram, Josh Jacobs, they lit it up in their rookie years. So it looks like Mike Mayock may just know what he's doing at this GM thing. Well, he's been around the game, you know, a great part of his life. So he definitely knows what he's doing. He knows talent. He surrounded himself with a lot of young guys in that uh, scouting department. And Mike and John together will definitely change this team. John knows exactly what he's doing. He has a vision of what he wants. He's, uh, John thinks way ahead. And when you look at what he's doing, he already knows what he wants his team to look like. So it's just a matter of going out and getting the guys to fit what he, he, he envisions. He, uh, he's been around the game all his life, and it's just a matter of uh, finding the right talent. you got to keep in mind, when he came in, he had to break everything down and start oh, yeah. from scratch. And uh, you have to compliment him on what he's done so far. And this year should be very interesting uh, you'll see a big change in the Raiders uh, this year for sure. And one thing, uh, for certain three things for sure, uh, we will compete with the Chiefs. Well, you've heard it right there from Mr. Raider himself, George Atkinson, that the Raiders <laughs> will compete with the Chiefs. We're looking forward to it, my friend. Uh, the Raiders and Chiefs were both 6-4 and four last year at one point. And then just kind of didn't continue on for the Raiders. And the Chiefs obviously went on to win the Super Bowl. But... Talking about the Raiders' talent right there, it looks like you guys need to add some explosive weapons in the passing game, definitely on the outside. But a lot of people want to talk about George Kittle and Travis Kelsey being the best tight ends in the game. But for my money, if you're looking at one of the best young tight ends in the game, yes, George Kittle is one of them. But what about Darren Waller? Tell us a little bit more about him. Man, what a specimen. And a good guy. Uh, he and I talk quite a bit. He's, uh, he's, he's the tight end of the future for the Raiders. He, Actually, he could actually spread out to play wide receiver. Mm -hmm. he, he's that talented. And, uh, you watch him play. He plays with a lot of enthusiasm. The guy is committed to what he's doing. He works hard every day in practice, and he's committed to getting better. And you can see that in, in his work. I like him. I think he's going to be uh, one of the best tight ends in the game. Uh, he has the potential to really be a great tight end. Uh, you, you, you look at his skills, his skill level, you look at his size, I mean, he's a prototype. I mean, he's big, he's fast, he's catch. He, the, the kid runs good routes. I mean, it's hard. He blocks. He's a good blocker and he'll get better at that. And when you look at that, that whole picture, our offense, we need speed. Uh, we need to get some speed on the wide out. And I think once we accomplish that, we'll be able to compete against anyone. You know, you look at the game last year, 
against Kansas City. The game in Oakland, we yeah. got beaten one quarter. Yeah. The second quarter beat us. I mean, we played we played better than Kansas City didn't score any points uh, in the second half. The first quarter, I think they only scored seven, maybe. Then they exploded on us in the second quarter. And yeah. the Raiders played them tough both times we played. And with a young team, you got to keep in mind. So the, the thing you got to look at is that the young players we have, especially the kids on the defense, they don't fear Kansas City. But we just need some speed on the outside, and we gotta we gotta get the secondary a little bit better, and we become we be competitive against the Chiefs, I think. Well, George, um, not only did the Chiefs win the Super Bowl this year, but uh, Johnny Robinson goes into the Hall of Fame. I know you played against the Chiefs um, just at the tail end of his career, maybe for just the last few years. Uh, he's a little older than you. He was at the tail end of his career, but he goes into the Hall of Fame. Um, Talk about how deserving maybe he was of that. And I know that you've always been a proponent of Otis Taylor getting in. Still hasn't happened as his health continues to to falter. Um, talk about Johnny Robinson and then uh, uh, whether or not you think Otis should get in here, especially before, you know, he, he passes away. You know, I used to call Johnny Robinson the deep safety. He used to play so deep uh, back here, but he made <laughs> a lot of picks for Kansas City. And uh, he was a big addition. He was a good tackler. And he was a mainstay with the Chiefs for quite a while. And he, at that time, he and Dave, uh, Dave Grayson, I thought, were the best free safety uh, in the league at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, he deserves to be in. Uh, he had, I don't know how many interceptions he had, but I, if I remember correctly, he had quite a few. And, uh, you know, with just, what was it, the 100th year where they had a guy, I'm glad he was in that mix. And there, and you know, uh, I'm a strong, strong believer that Otis Taylor should have been in the Hall of Fame yeah. a long time ago. And it's a shame that he and Cliff Branch didn't get in. I uh, haven't gotten in. Uh, you know, the, the league, it's the uh, Hall of Fame itself. Uh, sometimes you question their picks uh, for the Hall of Fame, but you look at guys like Cliff and Otis, man, what a tragedy. Lester Hayes. And I'm not saying it just because they play with, uh, with the Raiders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm saying it because they deserve to be there. And as an ex-player, you know, we talk amongst ourselves. And uh, I've had many conversations with guys who played against those guys. And to a man, they all believe the same thing. And it's just a shame. And, uh, you know, maybe one day it'll happen. Hopefully for Otis, you know, like you say, he's been sick hopefully for him sooner than later. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. It's, it's a great honor, but uh, just having conversations like these and like you guys, the players amongst yourselves, uh, you guys know who are hall of famers and who should be in, even oh, if the committee hasn't put their name in. Without yeah. a doubt. And trust me, like I said, I talked to a lot of guys who played during that era who's still alive. And some of the guys who have passed and to a man, to a man, we all look at him as a Hall of Famer, regardless of whether the honors come. And there are a lot of guys we look at who are in there. We want to ask ourselves, how? Yep. So, but, you know, it is what it is. And, um, you know, the committees, they do what they do, I guess. Yeah, and just hopefully that can get uh, corrected over time and the right people, and they can start going back in history and get them in. 
Um, but I wanted to kind of jump and talk about the draft, especially this year. It's kind of always a crapshoot, but just how more, how much more difficult is it going to be this year without pro days, player visits to the facility, medical checkups? We're not sure if we're going to get those. So just how much more difficult is it going to be with the coronavirus this year to, to oh, pick players and be confident in your picks? Without a doubt, it's, it's definitely going to put a, a slowdown in the process of evaluating. You know, you have to evaluate guys, and uh, sometimes bringing them in helps and, you know, conversations and a whole bit. But there's, there's a lot of talent coming out of college. Well, translate into being professionals, well, that time will tell. But, you know, it's a lot to choose from, especially for our needs. Uh, our needs are, are many uh, when it comes to certain positions. Uh, but there's a lot of talent out there. Like I said, the wide receiver position loaded with receivers that have speed, and that's what we need. Uh, we need some DBs and uh, a, a few linebackers. And I think, you know, with the draft, we can fill, fill those needs uh, and build at the same time. You know, the key to today's football is you got to build you got to build from the draft pretty much because free agency, you get a guy, and uh, sometimes they're they're worse to they're worse to helping you, worse in helping you than you think sometimes because they come from a different system. They got to get used to your system, and a lot of times you see guys fall off the off the bridge, and a lot of times you see guys that fit. So like you said, not only a crapshoot and the draft, it's also a tra- crapshoot in free agency. Although you have yeah. established pros. And you see teams, you know, the big thing that you, I guess you mostly have to look at is why would a team let a guy go, you know, if, mm-hmm. if, if, he's, a, if he's a good player. You keep your good players for sure. But why would you let a good player go? And sometimes when you make a decision to go get a guy, you don't know what you're getting all the time. Well, George, I tell you what, we we can't thank you enough for uh, for all you've done for us over the years. It's been uh, eight years Anytime, now we've been talking to you, and I'll tell you, <laughs> exactly. you know, we we got to tell you um, before we let you go how disheartened and 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 sad we we were to hear about uh, George the Third's passing, and it, you're you've been in our thoughts and prayers uh, this whole time, of course, as with Josh as well. So I just want you to know that we've been thinking about you and praying for you and really just wanting to see how, how you're doing personally during all this. And that's off the record. That's just how we feel. And we just hope you're doing okay, man. Hey, man, appreciate it. Definitely, I'm doing fine. Uh, you know, as I said, this two show pass, and I've learned to live with it. It's something that, um, that you had, I had no control over. And uh, it's, it's, it's part of life, you know. Life well, goes on, and, it's, George, it's, I mean, it is what it is. Well, George, we're here for you anytime. If you just need to reach out to talk, whether it's an interview or just to reach out to talk and just kind of shoot the shit on anything that's going on in the world, football, or just to just talk to us, see how we're doing and uh, us the same, see how you're doing. And uh, I mean, we've grown to be friends over this time. It's not just uh, you're not just a guest that we have on an interview. Uh, and definitely you're in our hearts all the time. You're in our thoughts and prayers and and uh, we're here for you, man, anytime. Hey, man, I appreciate you. And it's been eight years of already. Boy, time flies when you have having fun. Huh? <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> my friend. 
<laughs> well, I'll tell you what, we hope we get to see you in Vegas next year because we're going to be there. Chiefs Raiders, we're going to be taking it over. And we hope that you're that you're a part of the organization at that point, too, because it won't be the same without you. Hey, man, appreciate you. Well, it was great to catch up with George there. Again, our heart just goes out to him and all that he's had to go through, losing two sons in the last two years. And we you know, just wanted to let him know we're definitely there for him. This relationship started um, back in 2012 when we first started our first podcast, which was called The Outsiders Podcast. We were looking for great guests to bring on. We wanted our show to be about bringing on dynamic guests, talking to them, um, sharing their experiences, sharing their stories, and connecting with them. And that George was one of the first ones that it was able to help get us off the ground in sports media. We wouldn't be here where we are without George coming on the show, uh, being so generous with his time. Now, eight years later, to have that friendship, um, I think it was back in 2017, George was here, and we were able to go um, go with him out to dinner, and it was amazing to have that experience. We took him out. We took him to the Yard House here in Kansas City because we don't know how to get anywhere else downtown. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> we uh, were able to to do that. It was an experience we'll never forget. Just talking stories, you know, to, about playing against the the Chiefs in the uh, early '70s, the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl, and then the Raiders winning the Super Bowl there as well during that time. Of course, you hear his thoughts about guys like Otis Taylor and Johnny Robinson, who just went in the Hall of Fame. When in the end, when you think about things like this, about being you know being from Kansas City, being a Raider hater, it all becomes so non you know, not important when you formulate these relationships and you realize it's all about the people and the men that are the foundation of this sport, regardless of who they played for. These guys helped us make us the fans we are today. We thank all of them for it, no matter what uniform you put on. Absolutely. George has meant so much to us over the years. And you talk about the foundation of the game and the league and, and what made it the game that it is today. And it's players like George Atkinson on those legendary 70s Raiders teams winning Super Bowls, John Madden, Jack Tatum, uh, Ken Stabler. I mean, there's just so many great players on those Raiders teams. And yeah, we talk about being a Raider hater here in Kansas City and uh, just how much uh, that was kind of bred and born under the guise of uh, Marty Schottenheimer and his uh, head coaching tenure here in Kansas City and his leadership. But um, we've talked to so many great Chiefs over the years, and and we had George on just to kind of get the other side and just see how it went. And uh, he's been a fan of ours. He's been in our corner. He supported us, and uh, probably more so than, than a lot of other people. And uh, it, it's just been an unbelievable relationship and just uh, having that guest that we can go to to just get inside the the Raiders organization and see it from their side and and more than any of that just to cultivate that friendship over these eight years like you mentioned being able to go out to dinner with him um just, I've never felt more just connected to the game and this sport and and just the years and the building and the foundation of this league and what it is and just a connection with a person and that friendship and and being able to talk sports and get the in-depth knowledge of the game than I have that night uh, talking to George. And I, I probably never felt more alive than in that moment. And, and that this is where I belong in sports media and uh, talking about this game with the legends of the game. And, and George has meant so much to us. And just having him on throughout the years, talking about his kids, you could tell he was a proud papa uh, talking about Josh and George and, and their accomplishments at Notre Dame. And then uh, the, they're them trying to get into the NFL and being on practice squads and preseasons and training camps and and just how proud he was when George uh, caught on with the Raiders there and he was on their uh, practice squad and in their training camp and 
to hear this latest news of Josh and now George passing, it's like you said, I, my heart goes out to him. My heart hurts for him. And, and our thoughts and our prayers have been with him this whole time. And, and uh, we, we love George and that's what it comes down to. He's one of our great and dear friends and, and we're thinking of him continually. And certainly hope to see him make that move to Las Vegas. Of course, he's been on the um, Oakland Raiders radio network and we hope that he reconsiders. They're trying to, you know, bring George with him to Las Vegas. We hope that happens to continue to cultivate this friendship and this rivalry going forward. And you heard his thoughts. He says the Raiders will compete with the Chiefs. I guess eventually someone certainly will. And we're going to get into it now with um, another player that we went head-on-head head with for so many years. Uh, Simon Fletcher, drafted by the Broncos in 85, appeared in three Super Bowls with the Denver Broncos, the second all-time leading sack leader in Broncos history, Simon, welcome to the show, man. How are you? How's everything going? Great to talk to you. You know, we're here in Kansas City. You played your whole career in Denver, but during these tough and dark times, we just all have to be friends, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Chiefs and Broncos on the That's same right. side. <laughs> Imagine that. It took a global pandemic to uh, make that happen. But uh, Simon, it's, yes, it's great now. to have you. Um, how, how's, how's everything been going? I know, um, did you, you have a restaurant there in Colorado? Obviously no, the restaurant. Not, that's that... not, that's, I have two mobile units. I don't have a physical building. Uh, it would have opened by the end of this week before the pandemic. Oh man. I, I got out of the, uh, brick and mortar four years ago because of the lack of work ethic. Oh wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm, I'm going back in, but I'm going upscale. I'm going four or five star, an executive chef coming from Europe, and we're going to do some vegan stuff where we bring in new equipment, uh, refrigerators, uh, food prep equipment that will never have any animal product on it from manufacturer to the end of the run with the restaurant. That's awesome. That is, that is great to hear. And, I mean, you, you know – so, so many players get into different ventures uh, after their careers. How did you kind of find your way into into this business? Well, I had uh, gone for a hot dog and a milkshake uh, during my fourth or fifth year in the NFL and ended up buying that little hot dog stand and turning it into a $100,000 a month operation back in the late 80s. And wow. uh Within a few years, we had five locations open, spread throughout the Colorado Front Range, and uh, then uh, sold that and went into the construction business. Uh, and until 2008, the big recession, uh, we were moving right along, doing well, growing leaps and bounds, and all of a sudden, oil prices skyrocketed, and we were doing mostly roofing, which is asphalt-based shingles, so we lost a lot of contracts and I decided I was going to get back into food. That was my first mobile unit. And, uh, I think mobile's the way to go because I'm a person who has a short attention span. I can't be <laughs> in the same place every day. So now I'm back in mobile two units and I'm about to do a licensing agreement near Branson, Missouri. Oh yeah. Oh, awesome. Yep. Yeah. We know Branson all too well. <laughs> It's a good place. 
Yeah, it really is. It's thriving. It's continuing to grow. And uh, But moving into your career here, Simon, second-round pick out of Houston. You come to the Denver Broncos. You're there with John Elway. You guys end up going to three Super Bowls. You don't get that win. It's elusive for you. But what was that trip like, playing with John Elway and going to three Super Bowls, 86, 87, 89? Well, as I always say, John Elway was very privileged to play with me because he never went to a Super Bowl until after I arrived. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole experience of a Super Bowl, you know, you grow up as a kid and you watch it and you're admiring all these guys. And at that time, I had no interest in any sport other than baseball. So the idea of the very first trip out against the Giants, I said, I'm actually about to step on the field and play in the biggest game in sports in, for the year or in the history of the United States at that point. And I said, what an amazing blessing to go from Bay City, Texas, to Super Bowl Sunday. Oh, that's amazing. Um, in the, along that way, of course, uh, you lost to the Giants and Redskins, two great teams. But in 1989, uh, the 49ers, I think that team may be one of the great NFL teams of all time. It was a complete uh, tall order going up against uh, you know Montana and John Taylor and Jerry Rice and, and that bunch. Do you, do you think that that, that 89 Niners team uh, doesn't get quite the credit they deserve when you talk about great NFL teams of all time? For whatever reason, I don't think uh, the Niners uh, and, and Broncos, to some degree, have ever gotten the due credit uh, for what they accomplished. They had some guys on those Niners teams and were far leaps and bounds ahead of the rest of the league as far as uh, – uh, having uh, mental counselors and, and uh, total body care uh, for their players. The 49ers as an organization under the, the, the Bartolos was an amazing organization and a well-tuned, well-performing machine. Well, you get to Denver in 1985, and uh, you play for Dan Reeves. Later on, it turns into Wade Phillips. And your last year, you played for Mike Shanahan, Talk about your relationship with each coach and some of the similarities and differences that you saw along the way. Well, Dan Reeves, uh, as you know, had played and uh, been a player coach with Tom Landry. He was old school, and he, he's my favorite of the three, uh, in part because he drafted me. He took a chance on me coming out of college. Mm -hmm. uh, but Dan, Dan Reeves was a guy who would – uh, leave no stone unturned in helping you to find out what your maximum potential was and help you to tap into it on a consistent basis. He was also a Christian man. He was a great family man. I had the opportunity to see him with his wife, with his kids, and then on a couple of occasions with his father. And so you get an idea of who a man is at his very core when you see him around the people that mean most to him. Uh, Wade Phillips, Wade is a Texan. I'm a Texan. Uh, I, I, I was a lifelong, well, during his lifetime, I was a fan of uh, Wade's dad, Bum Phillips, a, a great mm -hmm. guy who yes. accomplished a lot, and yet he still managed to maintain his humble Texas ways. And so Wade, Wade was like part of my family once he came as coordinator and later as head coach. Um, a good relationship. It was one based on mutual respect and a, a great Texas connection. Uh, Shanahan, I didn't really get to know him as a head coach because I had already decided my first year when my last year was going to be, regardless of health or player status or, oh, wow. or pay or anything. 
What went into I that decision? Well, <clears throat> my daughter Ashley had been almost two years in a college dormitory. It was always football, football, Ashley football, Ashley football, back and forth. And I was determined she would not leave my home not realizing that she's the most important thing to me. And, of course, later the other children as well. But I wasn't going to be on the football field and, and win in that arena and lose when it comes to making a, a lifelong connection with my daughter. Yeah, yeah, that definitely makes sense. And it's an uh, interesting dynamic there. Of course, uh, the Broncos went on to win two Super Bowls and John Elway's Final two years, you played all 11 seasons with the Denver Broncos, Simon, and you're a part of the uh, the Ring of Honor there um, at New Mile High Stadium. You went in uh, back in 2016, I believe, and you end as the second leading sacker in Broncos history. Only Von Miller has recently surpassed you, and that's not a bad person to, to have uh, surpassed you with sacks. But you went in with Jason Elam uh, and John Lynch back in 2016. What did that mean to you? Uh, well, for me, it meant more for my children to be there and witness it as well as my mother and sibling. And I had a couple college teammates, Holmes and McMillan both flew out at their own expense to attend and surprised me. Uh, It it was a chance to join a group of guys that most of whom I'd gotten to know and have ongoing friendship relationship with. And so it, it was it was great, but it, at the back of my mind was always they're putting one name up there, but there were hundreds of guys over 11 years that made it possible. Oh, absolutely. And uh, talk about some of those defensive teammates that you had that kind of maybe opened up a hole for you and made that possible. Carl Mecklenburg, Greg Cragen, Keith Tractor Trailer, and then in the secondary, uh, great safeties, Dennis Smith, and uh, newly going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, Steve Atwater. Yes. Well, uh, we were, if nothing else, in art of this day, we were a family. We weren't just a couple guys or a group of guys who happened to work the same job for half a year. We we were guys whose children knew one another, and, and we had dinners and, and talked to each other outside our uh, employment. So those relationships are intact and will remain so. And they're, they're, they're really it's really important when you can go once a year and you can see guys and, and relive the stories. And, yes, it's in the past, but some, most of us were such humble guys that you forget some of the things you did. And, interestingly, what we talk about is not on the field. We talk about personality traits. We talk about character. We talk about work ethic on and off the field and commitment to community. So for for me, it, your your career as an NFL player never leaves when you're surrounded by a great bunch of guys and carry those relationships forward. That's awesome to hear, and that's kind of what football's all about. Yes, there's the game on the field, but it's the relationships in the locker room and off the field, and three guys who really helped out your offense and kind of helped you get to those Super Bowls. And, of course, I'm talking about the three amigos. So I got to ask about Vance Johnson, Mark Jackson, and Ricky Nateel, and what they meant to changing the complexion of your guys' offense. Well, Vance and I were drafted the same year, the same round. Vance was a 1985 pick number 2A and a few picks later, uh, Coach Reeves traded for Cleveland I believe, with Cleveland and uh, took me in the second round as well. So Vance and I had our first day until the end of his career in Denver uh, several years later. But um, to watch Vance Johnson, what an incredible athlete. He was so fast 
the coach would barely have time to hit the button to, to begin the stopwatch, and Vance would be done with the 40-yard dash. And uh, just just a, a well-muscled, well-toned guy. He was totally fit and uh, had some struggles later in life. Uh, unfortunately, lost uh, a son at a young age. And when I saw him this past year, Vance is on the road back. I see him on Facebook, and he's trying to help others who are facing difficulty. So Vance, Vance was kind of the uh, showman. You know, he had he had seven Bronco jerseys with his name that he wore out every day. I think he wore one to church when he attended. Uh, he was kind of flamboyant. He was Mr. Showman. But uh, behind the scenes, he was just like anybody else. He was terrified to death that this next game might be his last. He had responsibilities. Uh, Ricky Natillo. Ricky Natillo was a Florida fella. And uh, Ricky had a kind of a wry sense of humor. He would sit and he'd observe and listen for uh, long periods of time, and all of a sudden he'd blurt out something that would uh, be directed at one of the persons in attendance, and all of a sudden everybody's just grabbing their sides in laughter as they cramp up. <laughs> Mark Jackson, Mark Jackson is just Mark Jackson. I think is everybody's friend. Mark Jackson has an outgoing personality. He's determined. He's driven. He's always working, um, trying to find out what's next for Mark Jackson as far as trying to uh, obtain further success in life after football. So Mark's just a great guy who loves his Broncos teammates, and it doesn't matter if you played on the 60 team and he met you in the 90s or you're playing currently and he met you yesterday. You're part of his family, and he has a way of making you feel that. Well, Simon, uh, of course, uh, growing up here in Kansas City, we grew up watching just so many battles between the Chiefs and Broncos. Uh, when Marty Schottenheimer got here in 1989, the rivalry really heated up. Uh, you guys went toe-to-toe for a lot of uh, division titles, some really memorable games. I mean, just talk about going up against some of those Chiefs teams. Uh, other great pass rushers, of course, uh, that were similar to yourself. I mean, Derek Thomas, Neil Smith, you had... Guys like Kevin Ross uh, on this chief defense, Dale Carter, such a solid defense always. Just talk about some of those battles going up with uh, with our Chiefs here. Well, I'll, I'll start with this statement. You can't compare me or any other mortal to Derrick Thomas. <laughs> that's just unfair. <laughs> that's, that's, that's inaccurate. That man was he was he was an awesome machine. I had man, I, I used to sit on the sideline and I said, well, I'm gonna try to get as many sacks as Derek does today. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> uh, and then to have Neil Smith, who later uh, came to Denver and became a, 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 a short-term Bronco, but still part of the brotherhood. Neil Smith, to me, was a guy who I doubt a coach ever had to lift a finger or utter a word in order to motivate. When that when they started, when the kickoff was initiated, Neil Smith was a football player from start to finish. And when you would think a guy his size would be wearing down, somehow he would get stronger. So Neil, I admired. I thought it was a dirty trick when you guys brought Montana in after that shellac <laughs> and you gave me in the Super Bowl. I really wasn't impressed with that one. <laughs> like, give give me uh give me Bill Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> we'll t- we'll tell Bill you said that. Uh... <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, Montana kind of did it to you guys again. I want to talk about October seventeenth, nineteen ninety four. We got to do it. Montana versus Elway, the Montana Magic game. 
in what really became an instant Monday Night Football classic. I mean, the old mile high was rocking, just shaking. One of, if not the best atmospheres that I've ever seen in a game personally. And 13 seconds left, Montana hits Willie Davis in the corner of the end zone for the win. Uh, take us back to that game that night and what you remember. Uh, I don't remember much other than we we, we uh, fell a little short. But the thing that I expected and had anticipated having uh, watched Joe Montana a couple years as he was developing and then later facing him either in preseason games or sometimes in regular season and, of course, the notorious Super Bowl, I never underestimated Joe. You could never count him out. He he, he wasn't a big fellow in stature, but what he lacked in stature, <clears throat> he he made up for it in his mental preparation for a game. Uh, he'd come on the field, and I think by the time the game started, Joe knew everything your offense could do uh, from from an offensive standpoint, and he knew what your defensive capabilities were, and he was a master at finding the subtle weaknesses. And, and he took advantage of it. Absolutely did. What a career. Uh, and got to see him for two years here in Kansas City. But now, Simon, I'll tell you what, there, there's a new quarterback terrorizing the Denver Broncos here in Kansas City uh, by the name of Patrick Mahomes. Of course, the Chiefs going to win the Super Bowl this year. But there in Denver, you have a very good friend of ours uh, that looks like the reins are going to be turned over to Drew Locke, a guy we've covered since high school here. He went to Mizzou. We covered him at the University of Missouri, and now he's a Denver Bronco. So a lot of mixed emotions there. But kind of talk about the current Broncos, how they're going to be able to get back on track because three straight losing seasons, unprecedented for the first time in Broncos history. But what are your thoughts on uh, Drew Locke and trying to catch Mahomes and the Chiefs? Well, my thoughts on Drew is uh, from his first game as a starter being activated finally, uh, he, he, he lifted – the excitement for fans, and I noticed that the players immediately stepped up their game a little bit, and they anointed him leader by the end of his first start. And when you've got a guy that can command that kind of respect from his peers and teammates, then you have to uh, look forward to the future and know it's going to be a brighter future. Uh, some of the moves they've made so far in free agency, I think, is are moves in the right direction. Uh, Coach Fangio, even though I gave him a hard time when he was first hired, uh, <laughs> he proved me he proved me wrong, and I, I've admitted it live on the air. Uh, he's, he's got the I think he's got the right mix of old school with an understanding of how the game and the players in it have evolved. And I expect him to be successful. Now, we've got to deal with Kansas City, and I like our chances with Mr. Locke at quarterback. Absolutely. We're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. Uh, we want to stay on top here in Kansas City. We've got those bad that bad taste in our mouth still from uh, your Broncos teams kind of pushing us around for a while. But also Drew Locke coming from Mizzou, we want nothing but success for him. So it's going to be interesting well, to see you- moving forward. The future looks great for you. I was uh, catering during the Super Bowl party with about 250 people, so I didn't get to see much game. But I remember Mm -hmm. late in the game, Kansas City was down a couple scores or a little more, and I saw a look in Mahomes' eyes, and I told those who who were in an earshot, I said, Kansas City's going to win this game. That kid doesn't think it's over. Oh, absolutely. We've seen it time and time again, and uh, we we just couldn't be more thrilled with him and just kind of being dropped in our laps here and uh, uh, just the excitement and what 
things can come moving forward. But before we let you go, Simon, I got to ask about your old teammate, Shannon Sharp. He's a big TV star now. He's on Undisputed with Skip Bayless. And I kind of feel like we should have all seen this coming. I'm sure we've all seen like the classic NFL films clip of Shannon on the phone uh, talking yeah. to the president, telling him he's got to call the National Guard because you guys are killing the Patriots. And so, Simon, <laughs> if you could, tell us a little bit about Shannon as a teammate and personality in that locker room. Shannon is a teammate from the moment he walked in. He uplifted the room because regardless of situation, win or lose, Shannon Sharp was the same. He, uh, he, he looked on the lighter side of things. Uh, I think he realized that once the game is ended, there's nothing you can do to change the outcome, but you can get in a frame of mind that's going to uh, aid you in your preparation for the next contest. I've watched him on television evolve from a guy who was a heck of an athlete. I mean, his work ethic was second to none. But uh, I've watched him grow as a man and take stands for things that he believes very strongly in and be willing to risk everything for uh, what he sees as being the right thing to say and, and the right reaction to certain situations. So I couldn't be more proud of him uh, beyond the Hall of Fame Shannon Sharp is a, a, a great friend. He's a wonderful human being and a man that I give the utmost respect to. Well, Simon, I tell you, it's been such a pleasure. You know, during these times, we are just so enthralled to be able to go back and catch up with uh, some great players from history to talk about their careers and providing a much-needed distraction for everyone out there and going back. You know, there's no sports right now, so going back and talking about some of the moments that helped shape us as sports fans has been really important, and we can't thank you enough for doing it with us. Best of luck going forward. Stay healthy and stay well, my friend. Well, you do the same, and I want to thank you guys for because not once during this entire interview have you referred to me as an old Bronco. Thank you so much, and y'all <laughs> take care of yourselves. Hey, you're you're you had 97 sacks in your career. I'm not going to call you an old anything, my friend. I think you could still go if you had to. <laughs> well, for this money, I think I'd find a way. <laughs> <laughs> Simon, thank you so much, man. We'll talk soon. All right, take take care, guys. Be safe. You do the yeah. same. Great to get into it there with Simon Fletcher. Um, what a podcast it's been to kind of go behind enemy lines today, talking with uh, two greats from two division rivalries for the Kansas City Chiefs. I think, you know, a guy like Simon Fletcher is unheralded from that era. I mean, he had 97 career sacks, 24 fumbles. He was uh, a tremendous part of the, those Broncos teams that got to three Super Bowls during his time there and lost all three of them. They came up against a red-hot Phil Simms, uh, who had completed like 85% of his passes in that Super Bowl. And then Doug Williams, uh, you talk about red hot, uh, the next year in the 1989, uh, I guess it was uh, January of 1990 then, against uh, just one of the great NFL teams of all time. They went into a buzzsaw with Joe Montana, the West Coast offense of the San Francisco 49ers. To me, one of the top five greatest NFL teams of all time. So great to catch up with Simon. Man, I really feel uh, you know like we've delved into this more than anyone else could have ever imagined to do. So I believe we're equipped now to head on into 2020, head on into the draft, and look to see how things are going to shake out in the AFC West. And I still have the Chiefs winning it by three games. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But I just cannot thank Simon enough for coming on with us, uh, like you mentioned, behind enemy lines. And, and we didn't mention this to Simon. And, of course, Von Miller's a great player in his own right. Uh, no matter the era. But uh, like you said, Simon Fletcher doesn't get his due. I mean, 
just a massive figure, an imposing figure. I remember watching him as a kid, just like a mammoth of a man, and the 97 and a half sacks that he has in that era where they weren't throwing the ball all the time, uh, a lot of three yards and a cloud of dust, uh, unless you had a guy like a Joe Montana or a John Elway or Dan Marino. Uh, but uh, there weren't many of those guys back then. So it was three yards and a cloud of dust, and he had one of those guys on his team and John Elway. So uh, Simon was tasked with on the limited passing downs and opportunities that he got to get those 97 and a half. So that is an impressive stat, and he doesn't get mentioned with the Derek Thomases of the world enough. And uh, he mentioned Derek and how he would always try to outduel him and he's going up against him and I'm going to get try to get more sacks than Derek and he'd be up watching Derek and his game and uh, he's like, yeah, good luck with that. I'm just I'm not going to be able to get more sacks than Derek Thomas. That guy was a freak. And uh, just all the great players that he played with. We talked about Shannon Sharp and uh, just how great of a teammate and personality he is and how proud of him. Uh, that he is uh, being on Undisputed and all the great things he's doing to be able to talk on any issue. And all the great teammates he played with, uh, Steve Atwater, Carl Mecklenburg, Keith Trailer, that uh, Dennis Smith, that uh, were rivals of us and we looked as enemies. But he said, man, they're just great teammates. I love playing with them. So huge thanks to Simon and George coming on behind enemy lines on this episode of the Elite Sports Podcast.